Um, I'm glad to be here with you today, this fourth Advent Sunday. Um, I wanted to make sure that you, we sent an email on Friday uh, updating you on the schedule for the next couple of weeks. We have, um, we have a Christmas Eve service uh, coming up this week, and we'll have just one service, Christmas Eve service. It's pretty much almost full already in terms of spots that people are reserved. I think there might be a few more. I'm not totally sure. Um, but we will also put it online as we do our 11 o'clock service. Um, and then the following two Sundays, the 27th and the 3rd, we'll also only have one service. Um, usually those services are less attended on a typical year anyway. We don't know how true that will be because of COVID this year. However, we have been asking a lot of volunteers, uh, our leadership, and if we could just give them a couple weeks where they did not have to do two services worth of stuff, it would be a, a little bit of a break for them. And we want to be able to do that. So make sure that you reserve your spot in those services uh, on the 27th and 3rd. And if you miss out uh, being in person, you are absolutely uh, free to, we will live stream the nine o'clock service, that one service that we have. We'll put that online. You can join us from home uh, remotely that way. <clears throat> we want to thank everybody who has participated in caring for families that we got connected to through Owen Middle School. Um, I'm not going to say too much about that because um, the response was so significant that uh, Josh from the United Way at Owen Middle School wants to come in person and tell you himself. But it was significant enough that he wanted to come in person and tell you uh, himself. So thank you for being a part of that. Um, we trust that God is going to bless those families who we all help take care of. Um, finally, I wanted to make sure that our church... Uh, the entirety of our body uh, knows that this week um, Bob Rice uh, died uh, after a long, months-long battle with cancer, uh, amongst a, a number of other things in his life the past couple of years. Um, I was I got to be by his side the day before to pray with him and, and Linda. Um, and we're really grateful that Jesus was merciful and, and took him peacefully. Um, but Linda could use your prayers, of course. She's, what did she say? I think they've been together 44 years, I think is what she said, maybe 45. And now a new phase of her life is starting. And uh, she's got her own battle with cancer that she is hopefully wrapping up for the third time in the midst of uh, adjusting to life without her husband, whom she deeply loved. So please be in prayer for Linda Rice and the whole of their family. Um, they'll have a small funeral sometime soon, um, but that'll be pretty private. So uh, they're members of our church, and we want everybody to make sure that we are in that with them together. I'm going to pray for them in a moment. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read our passages for this morning <clears throat> from uh, Advent 4, 
Uh, these are going to be in 2 Samuel, in the book of Romans, and from the Gospel of Luke. You just heard uh, that Gospel passage, but we'll read it again as we've done the entirety of this time. So we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting at verse 1. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent in my dwelling. In all the places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so they may dwell in their own place, and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly." From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And this is verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And I'm going to read the final few verses of the book of Romans. This is Romans 16, 25 to 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. And now our gospel reading from the gospel of Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favor one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month 
with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this word, the word that speaks to us in the darkness and the mystery of the times. God, we ask for your comfort for Linda Rice and her family. God, we pray that now they will experience the same Holy Spirit that overshadowed Mary, that inspired these scriptures, that your Holy Spirit would draw close to them and be a comfort in grieving and to be a strength to accomplish and, and, and complete all the things that must be done in this time. God, we pray for your peace. And we thank you for your faithfulness to Bob Rice for the entirety of his life and even unto death and to the other side of death. We thank you that you are strong and victorious and faithful. God, we pray that we would see that strong faithfulness this morning in your word. We pray that we would have our eyes open and our ears open to your voice. We might attend to it and respond with the same words of our sister Mary. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> in our time, uh, in our culture, in our spiritual moment as a culture, uh, mystery is is quite uh, is quite attractive. It's a, a kind of spirituality of the moment that is quite comfortable with the mysterious. I don't mean just within the church. I mean, broadly in our kind of culture, mystery is sort of appealing to people. Um, there is an appeal to something that is so vast and unknowable that uh, if you use the language of the mysterious, people are, are intrigued. And in fact, uh, as, as more and more of our culture moves away from uh, a kind of cultural Christianity, there's actually been a kind of revivalism of ancient pagan religions. People who are picking up um, sacrifices to the, the spirits of the woods and the rivers and the mountains, a kind of uh, what they feel is this ancient spirituality that leans into the mystery of the times. Uh, we are seeing a, a kind of revival of interest in astrology, uh, interest in what the stars might dictate to us. It's part of the appeal of this thing that something is going on in the world, but we don't quite know what. And so our, our culture hears the word mystery applied to the spiritual and is the ears are perked up and there's interest. Um, now, there is danger here, obviously. As Christians, we would say, uh, the stars are beautiful, but they are not dictating your day-to-day -day events. They are not in charge of the events of your life. The woods, the mountains, the rivers, they are beautiful. They are wonderful. They are even maybe telling you something, but there are not spirits behind them. Um, you are rightly hearing, and you may be... Uh, intrigued 
by the mystery of the way the world is. But that mystery is not a blank canvas upon which to cast anything that you like and strikes your fancy. Because there's actually somebody there in the world, God, and he wants you to actually know things about him. So there is mystery in the world, but he wants you to not be in the dark. On the other side of the equation is a complete discomfort with mystery. And the kind of church that we are in our sort of spiritual uh, heritage, I would say especially in the Reformed tradition, Presbyterians are more known for removing the mystery out of anything and everything than leaning into the mystery of the world. Um, we are good with formulas and logic and rationale, and we will logic the heck out of anything possible. And we are profoundly uncomfortable with any kind of mystery in the world. We wouldn't want to tell you, actually, everything is knowable, and we will tell you the correct answer as a good Presbyterian. Now, there is, of course, danger here as well. There is danger. You may have experienced that with people who felt like they had every answer to every question, of which I confess I am one. That is, I tend to be that person. But as Christians, our confession is that actually there is inherently mystery in talking about God. There has to be. Because he's infinite and vast. And if we use all of the words of our lives, for the entirety of our lives, for the entirety of history, we would still not yet have enough words to properly describe and tell everything there is to know about God. In fact, the only reason we know anything about God is because he reveals himself to us. And our minds are only so small or so big, however you feel about yourself. They're only this big. And you cannot fit the vastness of an infinite and majestic God into our tiny brains. We cannot know everything. So what we confess is we know exactly what God revealed to us that we might know. And the rest, there is a mystery, a darkness about God that we cannot know. The scriptures this morning invite us in to the mystery of the times. There is this tension between what, what the people of God do know and what they do not know here in both of these narrative texts in 2 Samuel and Luke chapter 1. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, this is what we call the Davidic covenant, where David, this by the time we get to 2 Samuel, David has finally actually become king. This is the sort of saga of the entirety of 1 Samuel and the beginning of 2 Samuel is God has promised that David would be king, but by the time we get to 2 Samuel 7, he actually becomes king. And you hear all of his enemies are vanquished. And so he's sort of sitting around in the victory that he has won in Jerusalem, the city that he has taken to make for himself a capital. He wants to build a temple for God. He says, I finally have a palace. God should have a palace. And you can hear that Nathan the prophet says, I don't know, seems like a good idea to me. Go for it. But then this word comes from God, like, hold up, hold up a second. Let's talk about this for a minute. 
I never asked for a palace, God says. I, I gave plans for a tent, for a tabernacle, and I never asked for a palace. However, if you want to, I see the desire that you have to honor me, and I am going to bestow a greater honor on you. And through your family, I'm going to establish not just a place for myself and a temple. I'm going to establish a place for my whole people. And you're going to build a throne, and somebody from your family will sit on that throne forever. And I will forever bind myself to your family, and I will bring Israel rest. Now, if you read after 2 Samuel chapter 7, everything in the rest of the book is downhill. It goes into a dumpster fire of David's personal failure and his family's history of faults and sin and murder. By the end of the book of 2 Samuel, you're saying, now just a few chapters, God said he would do this. How in the world is he going to work with this mess of a people? And if you continue reading the books of history, the books of Kings, you're left with this same feeling. How in the world could God possibly be faithful to this covenant? This happens a thousand years before Jesus comes onto the scene. A thousand years, a millennium, where the people have in their hands a promise from God and evidence to the contrary, there is no way that this is going to happen. They are living in the middle of profound mystery as the people of Israel, and they are barely holding on through failure, through being conquered, exiled, returned. It is in that context, in the middle of that mystery, that Mary receives an angelic visitor. And this angel comes and tells her, Mary, you are favored. And she has no idea what he's talking about. I do not understand what you are saying. She's kind of fearful at what he is saying because she's so discombobulated. And he says, you're going to have a baby. And she says, I'm not married I have no biological reason to believe that I should have a baby. I don't understand how that is supposed to happen. That does not make sense. And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you will become pregnant. And she leans in to what she knows, which is what has been revealed to her. She confesses what she does not know. And she makes herself available to God. Mary's confession is for us a profound example. Mary's profession of faith, too often overlooked in non-Catholic circles, is a teacher to us, the people of God, now. This is a young girl 
highly likely that she's 14, 15, 16 years old, something like that, unmarried, with no station, told that she'll be put in an incredibly vulnerable position, an unmarried, pregnant, young girl who was supposed to be married and have this life with Joseph, and now everything is totally on the table, no idea what is going to happen. She is living in the middle of mystery, clinging to what she has been told, and trusting through what she does not know. In the end of the book of Romans, Paul uses this language of the mystery that has been revealed to the people of God. And what he says is that God is the one who is doing the revealing and who is driving the process. To him is the glory. So the God who gives the Davidic covenant, who sends the message to Mary, who sustains the church, understands that he has invited all of humanity into something that we can only see and understand in part. And this is what Paul will say often, for now we know in part. We only have a small picture. And in this time, in the season of Advent, this is our out loud confession. We are living in the middle of a mystery. And we do not quite understand all of our bearings. It is easy to construct your life to eliminate any sense of discombobulation, any sense of being unsure or feeling in the dark. What we prefer as people is to have the, the definitions of our lives set, the parameters of our lives set, and to feel incredibly secure in how we are living our life. But Advent bursts in to the middle of the people of God's life and says, hey, it's time to be honest, people. We barely know what's going on. There is very little that we do know. In ancient liturgies of the church, there is a moment where the people of God confess the mystery. That's what it's called. And the mystery is very simple. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Now, that feels like not a mystery. That feels definitive and very clear. It feels like the opposite of a mystery. But when we, the people of God, confess the mystery that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again, we confess that we are in the middle of those events. That he has died and he has risen, but he has not yet come again. And so where are we then? We are in the place that the people of God have always been. We are Israel, waiting for a thousand years, for two thousand years, for David's son to come into the picture. We are Mary, who is called to a life of obedience and submission that would lay claim to the entirety of our lives and is as deeply and profoundly personal and invasive as you can possibly imagine. 
And we have to open our hands and say, I am your servant. Do with me as you please. We are the people who have seen the mysteries revealed and yet are still waiting for the resumption of the mystery. If, if we cannot see that in the year 2020, the year that we have had, then we will never see it. As the people of the mystery of the things of God, we are called to a kind of humility. So if you have been living your life when, with absolute assurance and self-confidence that you are in charge of the direction of your life and you have experienced the only disruption that you've experienced is one that you yourself will handle. If you feel profoundly in control of the world, one, I don't know how you've done it. This is insane. How are you doing that? Two, it's a joke. It's not true. You can't live your life that way if you continue to try to delude yourself into believing that you are in control of the world and you are master of your own universe. Things will continue to crumble and fall all around you. And it's not because you are doing a poor job. It's because this is what life is. You do not have control. You are tiny. Your, your power is very limited. You are unable to organize, spreadsheet, manipulate, control your way through this world. You are not good enough, not strong enough, and it's not because you're so bad. It's because you're human. You are tiny. What God is calling you and I to is humility. To understand, I am very, very small in the world. And at the other end of that humility is trust. Mary shows us the way. Mary does not come to the end of Luke chapter 1 and say, Oh, now I completely understand. It's obviously... It's, it's, the, it's the virgin birth. That's obviously what we're talking about. Now I definitely understand what is going to happen. She cannot explain the biology of it to you. She doesn't understand what her life will look like. What she knows is that Jesus is coming. The son of David is coming. God has said he would do it. That's what she knows. And she will trust God and say, you are good. You are the promise giver. You can do whatever you want with my life. It is going to ruin my reputation. It is going to ruin my plan. It is going to ruin everything that I thought that I was on track for. But you are trustworthy. You are good. And you can do whatever you want with my life. Mary's confession is so audacious, it is so seemingly reckless in its powerful trust. And it is for us the way forward into this life of mystery. And the answer for Mary that we see played out is the Holy Spirit does indeed overshadow her. The image is that of these wings that sort of wrap around her overshadow her and do what seems impossible and fulfills the promise that the messenger said that nothing is impossible with God. 
We are still the people who are waiting. 2,000 years, in my personal opinion, seems quite long enough. Okay? Feels long enough to me. And I do not know when Jesus' second coming will come. I confess with the church the mystery of the ages that Christ has died, Christ has come, and Christ will come again. I, I would totally be somebody 500 years after the Davidic covenant come, came and say, like, well, it seems to be about time. I don't know what we're waiting for here. But what I can tell you is the thing that we can see in Mary and in David's story and the story of the church that every single time God has been precisely on time. He has been exactly precisely on time in a way that we never could have foreseen, but in a way that we desperately needed. People of God, in this week of Advent, I invite you to unburden the pains and the travails of being in the midst of the mystery. And I invite you to humbly trust that God, who is good and generous, will himself sustain you until the very end when you and I will finally see far better than we see now. And we will see that once again, God has arrived precisely on time, in power and in glory, to fulfill his promise far better than we could have hoped or imagined. Let me pray for us. God, we confess to you that this is difficult, that to be in the time between the times tries us, it weighs on us. We confess that in many ways we have wanted to be in control and, and power our way through. We have wanted to abandon uh, the knowing of things. We just prefer to sort of blindly sort of step through life and establish our own direction. But you have offered us a different way. You have revealed to us what you want us to know, and you have offered to hold us all the way through the dark. And God, I pray that for those of us who are gathered here, that where we have decided that we don't want to be carried through the dark, we want to carry ourselves, God, I pray that we would set that down, set it aside. For those of us who are tired and afraid, we'd be able to see that it's not us that's good enough, it's you. It's you carry and sustain all the way to the end. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we love that you love us better, that you are trustworthy and true. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.